Hi, and welcome to Talking With Cancer. I'm Katie, and I'm here to give you an honest, real, and even funny outlook on living with cancer. There is no one way to do cancer, and I've decided to share my story to help and inspire others, as well as raise awareness. At age 43, I was diagnosed with a rare type of thyroid cancer known as hobnail in February 2022, having never had any health issues previously. I was fit and well and took pretty good care of myself. But despite that, I got a diagnosis and I am on a long-term treatment plan. On this podcast, I will be sharing my progress regularly. And I often speak to amazing guests who've been impacted by cancer in some way. I really hope you enjoy listening. And if you do, then please rate, review, follow and recommend the pod. Hello, everybody. It's so lovely to be back. Thanks for bearing with me while I've been off pod for, it's been about two months. Feels like a lot longer than that. And I had to listen back to the wrap-up episode of the last season just to remind me and so that I could sort of recap where I'd got to. It's always good, actually, listening back. I've said this before, I find doing this really cathartic, but I find listening back to it can be just as cathartic to recap sort of the journey that I've been on and to remember all the things that I've learned the amazing people who I've spoken to and just to track really my different experiences on a very personal level. It just helps to remind me that like I will get through bad patches. There have been and will again be like good periods of time. And I think that's what's really hard to trust when you're going through a difficult time, which I have been for the last few months, when you're in that, you just can't imagine and you can't recall when things were good and whether things will be good again. So I think whatever the challenges that you're going through in life, it's just such an important lesson to know that like when you're in that period where things just feel utterly shit and hopeless, you will come through and things will be good again. And I think it's kind of easy to say that when you're coming through the other side, which is where I feel I am at the moment. Obviously, what I don't know is how long I'll be feeling good for, but I'm holding on to these moments. That's the thing I think that cancer's really taught me is that when I'm feeling good, when I'm feeling strong and I'm feeling myself, that is just the best feeling ever. Because when you've really not felt great, you just long for a normal day where you feel like yourself and you feel like you can smile at things and you can smell the fresh air, even if it's grey and miserable outside. And you just think, oh, I'm on my feet, I'm up and I'm out and this feels good. So I guess where I left off, was I was about to start taking the new targeted treatment, lenvatinib, 
the previous treatment that I was on stopped working. It was decided and agreed by my medical team that I should switch to a different treatment that will actually treat the thyroid cancer. So up until that point, I'd been taking a drug that was treating the mutating gene. And so what was discussed and agreed was to switch that treatment because there was some slight progression. And the new treatment, Lenvatinib, it switches off the blood supply to the thyroid cancer. So essentially, the thyroid cancer no longer has a supply to kind of live and grow from. And what's very common with this treatment is that patients are started on the highest dose, which is 24 milligrams. And over time, your dose may be tweaked depending on how you're tolerating it. In a way, I kind of feel like maybe a more humane way would be to start you on the lowest dose and gradually build you up. But it doesn't seem to be the way that they do it. And I assume they want to put you on the maximum dose to try and ensure that you'll have like the maximum efficiency. What we know with the cancer that I have, which is a rare type of thyroid cancer called hobnail, is it does grow pretty fast. It's not a slow growing cancer. It is, I don't like the term aggressive because I hate the idea that I've got something aggressive and angry growing inside me. But to reference my oncologist, Kate Newbold, and we talked about this when I interviewed her a couple of seasons ago, how important language is around cancer and how we talk about cancer. And she describes it as progressive, which I can can kind of sit with that more easily than aggressive. So I had a week off any treatment that was to get the ontrectinib out of my system before starting the lenvatinib. And if you recall, I'd had a biopsy on my neck to test the tumour, basically, to see, like, are we still dealing with the same cancer and the same mutating gene? And it turns out that that pathology came back and we are still dealing with the same thyroid cancer known as hobnail, and we are still dealing with the ROS1 fusion. You know, that was kind of good news, I suppose, that it wasn't a different type of cancer or a different kind of mutating gene. But once that wound had healed from the core biopsy, I started taking the lenvatinib, which was at the end of January. All I knew was it can take like three to four weeks in some cases for you to kind of really feel any side effects, but also for the drug to start working. I mean, what's important for me is that like the cancer that I have is actually quite visible. So I have what I've always described as like a boil in the middle of my neck, which has only appeared since the surgery. And I did go to see my surgeon about that quite a few months ago to say, look, is it just something you can easily take off? And he basically said, no, I don't want to cherry pick, you know, just take bits off you here and here. You know, we haven't actually discussed another surgery, but he said, look, that could well be cancer. And then I've got one, I think I've mentioned before, kind of right at the inner end of my collarbone. And then another one or what could be two, like on the collarbone about halfway through. So the idea that you kind of can't see cancer or you can't feel cancer is not true at all. In my case, I can very much see it and feel it. So I was kind of aware that I'd be able to feel these lumps like shrinking 
and that would be a good indication that the lenvatinib was working. But also I've developed this cough, which has been going on for quite a few months and has been incredibly stressful because it takes me back to one of the symptoms that I had prior to my diagnosis. What I was convinced about was that the cough would reduce and stop because of the lenvatinib. So what basically has happened over these last few months that I've been on the treatment is that it kind of took a while to kick in. And then I was feeling the side effects from the drug. And the side effects were nausea and loss of appetite, which led to some weight loss. I'm not going to lie, I wasn't too worried about that weight loss initially because I'd put on weight on the entrectinib, which is one of the side effects. So I was actually quite happy just to lose a bit of that weight, if I'm really honest. The nausea and the loss of appetite was just was very strange because, yeah, I genuinely like would sit down to a plate of food and just not be able to eat any of it. So I'm quite kind of picky about the times of day that I eat and the types of food that I eat. And within that, trying to remain really healthy, so really trying to sure I'm having loads of vegetables and you know a good amount of fruit not too much because I'm trying to not have too much sugar in my diet you know really trying to think about like lots of plant-based foods I'm drinking loads of water as I always do and I'm not too heavy pushing the caffeine and the alcohol I don't feel like at all at the moment yeah despite kind of eating healthy and I just felt awfully nauseous on this drug and I knew that it was one of the side effects because I don't tend to get nauseous very much I had really sore big toes so both my big toes were like the bones felt really sore and then my right ankle was very sore my lower back was really painful and I just felt kind of low energy When I spoke to Kate Newbold, because when you start a new drug, you kind of have a bit more regular contact with the oncologist and you have more regular bloods and checks, basically, just to see how you're tolerating it from the start for the first kind of first few weeks. And one of the things that she wanted to do early on was basically do a scan because of the cough and because of the sore lower back. She you know, being really thorough and basically ruling out anything. But of course, that freaked me out because I just thought, oh my God, like, you know, she's sending me for these scans and what if something's come up, something's appeared somewhere else or something's grown. So that was a pretty scary time. And that was sort of early February time. All the scans showed there was nothing new. The sore back was basically wear and tear which they told me was common at my age. I was like, thanks very much. I'm 44, so it's good to know that my body has just got wear and tear going on. And the cough, well, it's still really uncertain what this cough is. It hasn't gone away. I cough every night. I wake up in the night and I cough for a good 20 minutes or so. And during the day, throughout the day, at different times, I will be coughing. And... The thing with a cough is it's so invasive. It's so intrusive. It's so vocal and visible and stressful. Basically, Dinch and I, my husband, that is, we're really struggling with the cough. We continue to struggle with the cough. He feels very stressed about it because it's a constant reminder that I've got cancer, even though it might not be the cancer that's causing the cough. It might actually be a side effect. So we still haven't cracked it. 
it's still a bit concerning and it's still a bit of a problem. And I feel like I need to really understand what's going on. One of the things that Kate Newbold suggested was we could do radiotherapy because she thought that there could be a lymph node at the entrance to my lung that's kind of blocking the airway. But I haven't really pursued that. I'm kind of resisting radiotherapy, if I'm honest, because I think, you know, it's a treatment that is effective. It can also have side effects. And I am sort of seeing that as a bit of a last resort. So what I'm hoping is that when I see her this week, we can, you know, just have a bit of a plan in place for how to tackle the cough once and for all. So, yeah, back to the lenvatinib. It was then agreed with Kate that we would lower the dose. So we'd go from 24 to 20. And I sort of carried on for another couple of weeks, but I couldn't really sort of put my finger on or describe what was happening. I was just saying, I'm not feeling myself and I'm feeling low energy. And I went back to see her again. And she said, let's take the dose down to 14, because actually 24 to 20 is not really that big a reduction. So I started on the 14. And then a couple of days later, I just realized that I was depressed. I realized that I had really struggled in the mornings to get up, get dressed, I really didn't feel like socialising. I didn't feel like going out at all. And on this day, I was really teary. I was like uncontrollably crying all day. And I basically spoke to my nurse and I just said, look, you know, my mood is really low and I've never felt like this before. And she said, come off the treatment. Let's take you off the treatment for a week. And then we will see how you're doing after a week and see what Kate thinks about what dose you should start back on. So I did exactly that. And it took about five days, five days of no treatment to start to feel like myself again. And it was a huge, huge relief. I suddenly just woke up. I remember it was a Monday morning. And I was going to meet my friend Deborah down in the New Forest. We'd planned to have a couple of days away together. And I was really anxious building up to those days away, even though she'd said, if you need to cancel on the day, that's absolutely fine. I'll totally understand. I would have hated to do that. But I was anxious building up to it. I was honestly thinking, how am I going to get up in the morning and drive down to the New Forest and spend a couple of days away from home? And luckily, that very day, I just felt good. And I've been feeling better ever since, actually. And it's been a week. So I started back on the treatment. In a couple of days, it will be a week back on the treatment. I started on the 14 milligram dose. And I'm just really hoping that it's the right dose for me. You see, everyone's different. Everyone tolerates a drug differently. And while I was struggling on this drug... I was going onto these Facebook groups and I was really desperately trying to find other people on there with similar experiences to me. I mean, that's what we all do. You know, we all go onto these sort of Facebook cancer groups in the hope that we can find shared experiences with people. And that definitely helps. But I think what's important to realise is that there are a lot of people on these drugs who aren't sharing their experiences on Facebook 
but also the people who are are different. You know, everybody has a different chemical makeup. It's just important because I think you can get very drawn into that stuff and it's not healthy, really. That's what I realised. When I was feeling really down, I very much felt that actually what's not good for me right now is being on social media. And I know a couple of people noticed and they said, you know, you've been really quiet on here. But actually, I needed to have a break from it. I also needed to have a break from the podcast. I think not feeling myself was obviously really challenging. And I didn't feel creative. And I need a bit of creativity to do this. I didn't feel like sharing what was going on. I didn't feel like anyone would want to hear what was going on with me. And so I kind of kept putting it off, actually. And I think, you know, on reflection, it's really important to share the difficult times while I'm going through them. But also, I've always made myself a promise that what's really important, what's just as important as having wonderful listeners out there who can relate to this and who may be helped in some way or may feel some sort of hope, some sort of inspiration from listening to this. And at the same time, like, I need to be really kind to myself and I need to make sure that I am doing this podcast when it feels right. That was sort of why I started this in the first place, like way back at the beginning, you know, it was like a really great way to kind of share what I was going through. And it lifted me up actually doing that on many different levels. You know, it was very good and useful to keep a record. And like I said at the beginning, listening back to it is really helpful and really cathartic. So yeah, I felt today just some inspiration really to sit down and start talking again which feels really good so that's where I am on the treatment the other thing that I wanted to share was that I went to see a genetic counsellor now this is something that anybody can do it is expensive I'm not gonna lie you know if you think about kind of saving up for six months or you know not going for I don't know six or seven dinners over the course of six months, then you've basically got enough money to pay for the genetic blood test, which is sent off to California. That's partly why it's so expensive. And what they're looking for is any genes that show up that give you a greater chance of getting cancer. And you know, there may be an argument for not doing that. Why would you want to know? Like, why would that help you if if it increases your chances of getting a certain type of cancer? But if I had done this some years ago, then I would have had more screenings more regularly and potentially had the cancer detected earlier. And then it would have had a very different outlook and a very different treatment plan. You know, when my cancer was diagnosed, I was very, very late in the day and I had a lot of cancer. You know, I still do, but a lot less than I had when I was diagnosed, thanks to the surgery and the treatment. You know, what was interesting is that I have a gene that can increase the chances of thyroid cancer, as well as breast cancer, colon cancer and prostate cancer for men. 
It's called the CHECK2 gene. It's spelled C-H-E-K-2. And this is another piece in the jigsaw puzzle. Like, of course, it's like the plot thickens. And now what do we do? So I've spoken to Kate Newbold about it. And she wants to investigate further. Like, is it the CHECK2 that's caused the thyroid? Or is it the ROS1? How do those two things sit together? You see, the ROS1 is not something that would have shown up in a genetic blood test. That showed up as my biomarker, which basically means something turned that gene on, which is like epigenetics. And that's what we all thought caused the cancer. Now we don't really know. Was it that? Was it the check two? Is it both? So that's also been an interesting journey. And what that means is that I have to then go out to my family and they need to go and have this blood test, which once you detect a gene such as this, in your family, you then have a right to get tested for that gene for free on the NHS. So what I'm asking my mother to do, for example, is go and have the test for the check to to see if she's the carrier. If she's not, then it's possible my father was the carrier, but we'll never know that because he sadly died. And he died of pancreatic cancer about 17 years ago. And who knows, like, whether he had the check too, and that's what caused it. So it doesn't make things entirely clear, but it is an interesting piece of the puzzle, like I've said, and something that we're going to keep investigating. And that was something I wanted to do really since my diagnosis. So I finally got around to doing that. And now I have a really lovely dialogue with the genetic counsellor. Her name is Professor Eels, and she's also based at the Royal Marsden. One of the big things that I kind of shifted really in my whole outlook of the cancer diagnosis that I have was starting to feel that I have very much followed a medical path for quite a long time. I mean, since I got diagnosed. And for me, that's absolutely right. Like I am being treated by a really top, top cancer hospital. I feel very privileged to be treated by an incredible team. They told me from the start that the cancer I have is treatable, but not curable. I started to feel earlier this year that, you know, why was I using that as a narrative for me? Why have I been going around saying the cancer that I have is treatable, but not curable. When in fact, that's the medical belief, that's the medical outlook. And I'm not saying this in some kind of like, woo woo, oh, that's the doctors, that's what they say, what do they know? Of course, they know a lot, they're going by what they know. But I feel really quite strongly that there is another way to look at this. And the way that I'm looking at this is a lot more holistically. I feel like as well as treating the cancer medically, there are other ways that I can heal my body and heal what's going on in my body. I do believe that emotions that we have can create trauma that can sort of lay stagnant in the body and create illness. 
you know, I've talked before about some incredible books that talk about the power of the mind and how the mind can heal. We all know the placebo effect, which is really quite mind-boggling that, you know, people can take a drug, they are told that the drug is going to heal whatever illness they have. The drug turns out to be, you know, a sugar capsule, and yet the illness is cured. Like, go figure, it's been proven. So what I've felt very much this year is, what are the other things I can be doing alongside my medical treatment? So yes, I can eat healthy and try and really inform myself about what are the right foods to eat. I haven't gone down a nutritionist route. I've just, you know, chosen as much as I can to make healthy choices in my food. I've always been extremely sort of strict, I was going to say, but I've always really valued sleep a lot. And I've also valued exercise and being outside. I've been, you know, doing a lot more yoga for cancer with the lovely Vicky Fox, which has just been great to get my body moving. And I have a wonderful acupuncturist who really helps with those side effects and feelings like fatigue, low energy. And I find acupuncture really great for me. It's not everyone's cup of tea, but yeah, I really enjoy it. And I've also been seeing a cranial osteopath who sort of seems to have like magic fingers. I don't really know exactly what it is that she does, but she kind of feels different parts of my body. And then I can kind of feel slight shifts or slight movements. Wonderful thing about her is that she had thyroid cancer about 15 or 16 years ago. So there's something that we really connect over and she really understands. But another thing that I've tried, which I have found to be really quite wonderful, is sound healing. It's really quite effective. It's using the frequency of sound to, again, kind of shift things in the body and heal the body. I don't really know a lot more about it, but what I do know is that I've gone to have some sessions which involve basically like being fully clothed but lying on a massage bed and having like Tibetan monk bowls placed on me and gongs being played around me and very kind of high-frequency sounds. I don't know, again, like... I don't know what it's doing, but I've felt really good for going. And so, yeah, I have found these things to be really interesting and really effective. Oh, there goes Monty. We've all missed Monty, haven't we? So, yeah, I think what I'm doing is sort of taking a little bit more ownership. I've talked a lot about self-advocating and important to really understand, like, why your doctor's have suggested treatment or treatment plans for you. Really think about like some questions, no matter how silly they might seem, that you want to put to your medical team. Because ultimately you are in charge. You know, you can say no to those things. I'm not suggesting you do. But what I'm trying to say is like, you know, it's my body, right? And I need to be in charge of like what the route is that I'm taking. And yes, I'm taking a medical route, but what else can I do to feel a little bit in charge, a little bit in control, a little bit on a spiritual level, like how am I dealing with the cancer? 
And what are the other kind of tools out there and options out there to support what I'm going through? And maybe with all of those things, like maybe we'll see some incredible results. I don't know. Of course, that's what I'm hoping for. And, you know, I think that I just have to kind of be patient, really. I think that's also what these last few months have taught me. Like healing takes time. Recovering takes time. When you're feeling ill and you're not feeling yourself, you can't imagine you're ever going to feel okay again. And it's so stressful and it's so upsetting. So my aunt introduced me to a brilliant woman. She is a writer and a healer. Her name's Anna Parkinson. And she wrote a book. She's written a few books, but she wrote a book that I've read called Change Your Mind, Heal Your Body. Given that I'm not brilliant at reading books, I prefer audio books. I read that cover to cover in about five days. I really, really recommend it. And actually, I talked to Anna on this series. So tune in to episode four entitled Healer. And basically, she lived a very busy life. She worked for the BBC as a producer. So she worked in media and entertainment, which is my background as well. So I can completely relate to that. She was having problems with her vision and she got diagnosed with a brain tumour. And the brain tumour was inoperable because of where it was positioned. And she basically started to really look into healing. She came across a man called Martin Brofman, who sadly is no longer alive, but she followed his sort of journey of healing. She really began to look into the chakras and different ways of using the chakras to heal the body, different ways to meditate visually. And she has been doing a course recently with the College of Psychic Studies. And I've been doing that course. Uh, it's a couple of hours every week for eight weeks. And it's absolutely fascinating. It's looking at all the different chakra points, how they relate to the different stages of development, what else that they relate to symbolically, physically, non-physically, and how visual meditations can really be effective tapping into the subconscious and sort of unraveling things that might have got stuck, ideas and beliefs about who we are, why we behave in certain ways, who created that identity for us, who we really are, like deep down, rather than the person that we've told that we are, what were the things that were lacking in our childhood and important years of development, how would we like those things to be different, where do we hold pain and sadness, how do we project that. I mean, there's so much, actually, as I'm relaying it. It's really interesting to become aware of that and to shift certain patterns of behavior, shift certain dynamics and shift certain relationships. So I haven't quite finished the course, but I've really been enjoying it. And Anna sends us meditations each week after each session. And they're, like I say, they're really, really great. They're really interesting. So all of these things that I've been doing have been, yeah, quite eye-opening really. And I'm interested to kind of, as time goes on, for them all to kind of unfold and to see where I am with that. 
Yeah, I'm coming up to eight weeks on the treatment in total with a one-week break as well. And I'm going to see Kate on Thursday and I've got a scan coming up in about three weeks. And as I've said before, I'm kind of step by step. I'm trying not to think too far ahead, just think about to my next appointment. And whilst I'm feeling well, I'm going to embrace that massively even enjoy going for walks in the rain if I have to. We've got a lovely voice with cancer this week. This is a little feature that I introduced at the end of the last season, whereby anyone with a cancer story, it can be any story. It can be a story of survival. You could be going through a cancer diagnosis at the moment. It could be that you feel impacted by someone you know with cancer. Please get in touch. I'd love to hear from you and I will play out your voice note. It's I just require about a two-minute voice note that you could email me to hello at talkingwithcancer.com. I'd be very happy to hear from you. This week, we hear from Nell Bradesha. I'm going to play her voice note out now. Hi, Katie and everybody listening. My name is Nell. I'm from London. I was diagnosed with triple negative breast cancer in November 2021. It was a complete shock. I didn't see it coming. I was young, healthy and fit with no history in my family of breast cancer or cancer. So the diagnosis completely flawed me and my world fell apart very quickly. I went on to have five months of chemotherapy, surgery and radiotherapy and treatment ended in September. I found the journey incredibly lonely. Despite having robust support network, I just couldn't find that my friends and family really understood what was going on. I went to a young woman support group back in April last year and that really changed things because I found people that understood it and got it and I could really bear my soul to them and without judgment or fear. I forged a close relationship with my medical team too. My oncologist was incredible and I advocated for myself to have all my treatment under one roof at the hospital where I was being treated for cancer. And through this, I had an incredible surgeon who did a brilliant job. And I was invited to become an ambassador for Bart's charity because I found the journey lonely also because of representation. There was no one that looked like me. I'm a South Asian woman. I'm young and I just wasn't seeing myself represented and I desperately needed to see myself represented to see someone who looked like me through the other side thriving and it, I didn't have that. So I now act as an ambassador for St Bart's Charity. I do public speaking events and meet and greets in the hope to be a beacon of hope for other women who are going through a similar experience and to be that representation out there because it is lonely but we kind of latch on to what we need to and I needed to see myself represented. So I am almost six months through end of treatment now and in a really good place, living as much as I can because you just don't know with uh, triple negative cancer if it's not going to come back or not. And yeah, I'm really proud of how far I've come with this journey and want to make it a much less lonely place for women going through it. Thank you, Nell, so much for sending that in and for sharing what you went through and being so honest about how lonely you found it. And I completely get that. I think I talked a lot at the beginning of recording this podcast, like the idea of the cancer community and did I feel integrated or not? And 
did I find that I had stuff in common with other cancer patients? And I think with that stuff, it can take time, you know, to find your kind of tribe in a way. So I think it's brilliant that you are now an ambassador for Bart's charity and helping other women perhaps who feel like you felt to have that relatability and that empathy is a really wonderful thing to kind of give back. Yeah, thank you so much for sharing. I'm glad that we've connected now as well. So listen, it's been great to be back here. And thanks for being patient and bearing with me. And as always, thank you so much for listening. It's a real pleasure to sit on here and talk to you guys. Don't forget to rate, review and follow the podcast. That means a huge amount. And if you go to my website, talkingwithcancer.com, there's lots more information about me and my social page and my fundraising page. And you can go there and discover a bit more. So thank you so much, guys. I look forward to speaking to you again soon. Bye. Bye.